Welcome to This Story Matters. Each episode, we visit with people just like you who have walked through events that have grown their faith, transformed their families, drawn them closer to Christ, and refreshed their outlook on life. We believe sharing a testimony can build up others, and that is why this story matters. This episode is presented by Beatles Property Maintenance, Certified Mold Remediation Specialist in Springfield, Missouri. Online at BeatlesPM.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of This Story Matters. I'm your host, Stephanie Jenkins, and my guest today is Jennifer Gruner. Jennifer has an incredible story of survival and finding healing. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But before we go any further, we just want to invite the Lord into this space. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, and I thank you for people like Jennifer who are not ashamed of you. They're not ashamed of what you've done in their life. Lord, I thank you that she is willing to share the story that you've given her and to remember out loud even the hardest details of her life. Lord, I thank you that healing is there for us regardless of what we've been through. And Lord, I just invite Holy Spirit into this space today to be in my words, to be in Jennifer's words. And Lord, that you would you would guide this conversation and it would be exactly what someone needs to hear to get them through the chapter of their life that they're walking through. Lord, knowing you like I know you, I consider these things done. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So you have not only experienced some phenomenal things in your life, but you recently put um, fingers to keyboard. You used to say pen to paper, but now we say fingers to keyboard. That's more um, uh, more true. And you have put in your story, put your story in book form. Um, this is a story. Uh, it's Springfield history. Um, so you can actually look it up and find a lot of facts about it. It happened in Springfield in April of 1983. Um, giving away my age. I was 16 at the time. And a F3 tornado came through the city. It, it did a lot of destruction, a lot of damage. It hit around Battlefield and Campbell. And I happened to be caught in that storm, not in a house, but in my car. And um, just it was just a, an am- amazing thing to see on the front lines. And a lot of things happened. Um, the book is about... It sets the stage. It sets what it was like in Springfield in 1983, which is a different, totally different era. I mean, the technology was not there. Um, the 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 culture was different. Life was different. And so the book sets the stage of of the time period. And then also, um, I take you through uh, my experience of the storm and being trapped in it and what it, what happened. And then, um, I walk you through, um, my journey then following the storm and how it impacted me and how it changed me and 
It changed my relationship with people, with life, with the Lord, and how he walks me through. Uh, I walk you through my healing process and then walk you through. It will be 40 years in April of 2023. And the 40s a very unique number in the Bible. It's, you know, there a lot and it means some interesting things. And I show you how taking my healing and walking through all that, how it applied to my life even decades after it and even today. So that's where the story is. Well, we're going to put a link to where you can find the book in the show notes, but we're going to give you a teaser, so to speak, because before this was a book, after this is a book, this is your testimony, the story Mm -hmm. God has given you. And that's what this podcast is about, is sharing the stories God has given us. So tell us what happened. You and your friend Melissa are queens of flag corps at Parkview (laughs) High School. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging out being teenagers. Exactly. And the world is perfect because teenagers are in this wonderful place in life where they're almost adults, not quite, and um, making decisions on their own, but... um, but not quite exposed to, and I was not exposed to to um, to tragedy, to destruction, to hardship, to things that you would have to be healed from. But so you, the two of you, time. were getting ready for um, tryouts for the next year mm-hmm. of flag course. So you had been working on routines with you mentioned in the book with straws and you know and the detail that you go into in the book is is pretty phenomenal um I don't know what I had for breakfast yesterday but you're recalling things that happened 40 years ago like they happened yesterday and I think trauma has a tendency to do that to us so kind of walk us through um the the day of the storm and what you and Melissa were up to that was a unique day um, in that, like you said, we were getting, it was April, so we're getting ready to try out for the flag court. And you didn't get to be on the flag court automatically. You had to make it. You had to succeed. And also, Melissa and I worked together at McDonald's. And um, McDonald's knew that we were two giggly girls and knew not to... Um, schedule us at the same time. They would keep them like me Monday, Wednesday, Friday, her Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or whatever. And uh, that, that was a Friday evening and it was a unique time in that they had scheduled us together. And so we were at school together and we went home from school early. We didn't stay for, for practice because we had 4.30, we had to report to, to work and we went to my house and we got ready. And uh, in the book I do, I go into some deep detail. And I can tell you why I do that. Um, after, after all of it transpired, I went back and wrote everything down. I wanted to remember all of it. And I knew that days following, months following the storm, I knew there was a testimony that needed to be captured. I didn't know how or when or, you know, the details of it. I just knew that I needed to capture all of it before I forgot it. So that's how. I don't remember what I had for lunch last week either. Um, 
But so anyway, we were getting ready to go and uh, said, you know, changed our clothes into our, our um, what we were going to wear for work that evening, said goodbye to my family because she was at my house and I just lived not far from McDonald's. And um, we, we went to work and uh, we giggled and laughed and it was the perfect day. I mean, there are days where you just know that everything's in order. It just, it was such a great day. Um, we, like I said, giggling, laughing, working together was a blessing. We were having a great time. Uh, we had plans for Saturday, for next week. We were, you know, we had it all lined out how life was going to go. We had it all, I mean, there was just nothing that would, would interrupt that or, I mean, there, we just couldn't see anything happening to change that. It was going to work that way. And, uh, yeah, so um, I don't know how, how much you want to know, but, um, yeah. So we, we, got, we got off early because um, we didn't know the weather, and we didn't have a phone. <laughs> There's no such thing as a, as a cell phone. Um, and it was really slow at work, really slow. and eventually the manager was like, the two of you can, can take off. Okay, well, that's another never happen. Never happens that you work together. Never happens that you're dismissed at the same time. So what work? do two 16-year-old girls do on a Friday night <laughs> whenever they just got off work together early at the same time? I mean, your parents aren't expecting you home for a few more hours. I mean, you didn't do anything you shouldn't have done. Mm -mm. You just did normal teenage things. Yeah. Matter of fact, Melissa called her dad and said, hey, we're we're just we just got off. And Jennifer and I decided to dress alike for tryouts. So we're in pairs for tryouts. So as a team, the two of us are going to get in front of the judges and dress alike. That's our plan. And so I didn't call my parents because they're not going to miss me. They don't expect me home till 11, and I'm just going to run to the mall, and then I'll still be home early. So uh, we ran to the mall, which was the hub of activity back in 1983. It was the place to be. Our friends worked there, and we decided to go shopping for an outfit. So we we walked through there, and we saw friends, and, and uh, again, it, it's just a perfect day. It's just a perfect day. Everything's perfect. So, yeah, and uh, that's basically where, and that's where we were when the tornado sirens went off. Of course, if you look historically at that tornado, it hit Springfield at 9.15-ish p.m. on April 29th, 1983. And the mall closes at 9. So, yeah, we were, we, we left the mall and we headed, we were headed to my house. And that's where we got Right in the middle of it. So as you're leaving the mall and there are sirens going off, um, was like, were you guys scared? Were you nervous that like, what's going to happen next? Uh, I was scared. Um, I had always been afraid of tornadoes and maybe, maybe rightfully so knowing this one. I mean, it, I, in, and actually back then when I'm, Putting myself back in 1983, there seemed to be more tornado warnings then than we have now. 
you'd have three or four in a season. Yeah, which was probably precautionary because they didn't have the technology right. that they have today to predict right. the path of the storm and the storm yeah. coming and and all of that stuff. So right. you're you leave the mall. You're um, you're getting ready to um, hop in the car. Was it like raining? Was it no? It, uh, no rain. It wasn't rain. It had rained all day. Kind of a mist. It had been kind, but not stormy. It had just been a rainy gray day. You know, you might just call it a rainy gray day. And we were, we left the mall. We walked out and the sirens are going off and it's not raining, but the sky is on fire with lightning. And it's a lightning I'd never seen before. And to this day, when I see, I've seen it two or three or four times since, it always just, yeah, okay, guys, this is bad. Yeah. Because it's not a ground, a, a cloud to ground lightning. It's a, I call it sizzling. It's just staying in the sky and it's like the sky's on fire. It's just sizzling all over. And there was, and really not a lot of thunder, if you know. It, it's just, it, it's so weird. And the, the wind, the breeze would blow warm and then the breeze would blow cold significantly different in temperature. So, so you could feel the, the, the temperature mixing. You knew that it was warm and it was cold. And we got in my car and she was just like I was minutes before. Peaceful, um, fine, not scared. She was steady. She was in, in a stark contrast to me. Mm-hmm. Dark contrast, and I'm like, well, I'm glad one of us is okay because <laughs> it's not were you, me. Were you scared to drive? Yes. Um, yeah, I was very scared to drive. Matter of fact, I, on the way to the car, my hand was shaking, and I handed, I put the keys out, and I said, "Why don't you drive?" <laughs> and you know, she was older than me. She was actually a junior. Now she was still 16, but she she's she was a junior, and I was a sophomore. And I handed I handed the key I I handed the keys out to her and I said, How about you drive? And she said, No, no, no. She said, You drive. Like, okay. If you trust me. Because <laughs> I'm really scared. And uh, I start that orange monza that thing was um uh just a little sedan that my dad had given me. And uh we headed out. We headed out. And when we got out of the mall parking lot, and I, I tried to pull out on Battlefield. The cars were stacked up. It was like. So it wasn't like you guys were the only ones out no. on the road. Yeah. Lots of people lots out there. Lots of people. Lots of people. Like rush hour. Like bumper to bumper. <laughs> At 9.15 on a Friday night. Yeah, yeah. On Battlefield. So you are heading to your house? Is that where you mm-hmm. guys are headed? Yes. My house was closer. Yeah. So all we needed to do was get, um, on Battlefield, we had to get to Fort Street. That's where I needed to turn. And then I we didn't live too far back there. So that's where we were headed. So when, what point do you realize that you're in trouble? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I don't know if you remember KTTS radio station plays that wonk yes. noise. Ugh. It was on my radio, and um, it 
It says, I, I think I'm in trouble from the moment I get in the car heading because of the sirens and the people everywhere. And I could see that I can't go anywhere fast. And that's saying, it came over and it said that the, there was a tornado on the ground in Republic. And I remember thinking, great, because that, that's like 20 minutes from my house. I'm 10 minutes. I can, I, I got it beat. I can get there. And what we don't, what we didn't know was that tornadoes go as the crow flies. They don't go according to the roads and the stoplights. And yeah. Um, so that was a false sense of security, but it did make me relax a little bit. And I got all the way to Battlefield and Campbell. And I looked over the Burger King that's still there. I looked over Burger King and I saw this big white, it's a hook, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it's a hook. It's a cloud to ground. I was seeing it, but it was white. And so I'm rubbing my eyes and I'm going, I am losing it because that's white. And I don't and even know what that is. This whole time Melissa's right beside you, yes. not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. She's fine. And, and matter of fact, she's, she's studying me so I can keep going. Because I'm like, well, if she's okay, I've just got to get us home. That's my job. i got to get us home. And I was the second car back from the stoplight, and it turned green. And I'm like, all right, let's hit it. And I'm on the, in, on the, the lane closest to the shoulder. And I'm, I just hit the gas. And it looks like there's nothing in front of me that I should be able to just go and debris so debris starts flying and the wind of course what I did see was the hook I did see the tornado over Burger King so by the time I crossed the intersection and got not very far I got in front of Redeemer Luth not even Redeemer Lutheran just back this way a little bit in front of a house and um I things flying across the road that you're like, yeah, no, it's here. We're here. So that's when I knew we were in the middle. What'd you do then? I, what every kid would do. I was looking for an adult to follow. I was looking for a lead. Somebody tell me what to do. And I'm going through in my mind, what are the safety? I'm going, okay, what are the safety protocols? It's not duck and cover. Right. It's not stop, drop and roll. That's it's, for a fire. <laughs> it's, I think it's pull over and get in a ditch, get low, right? And I looked in my rearview mirror, and the car behind me pulls over. So I'm like, that's what I need to do. So that validated what I was thinking. And your mind's going a million miles an hour. So pull over, throw it in park. Um, and all I can do is say one word to Melissa to tell her what the plan is. Because we haven't talked. We're not talking. I'm too scared. My mind's going too fast. And I said, jump. And I opened my door and got as low as I could. I just rolled out of that car. What do you remember happening next? Oh. I remember, well, getting hit hard. First, I got hit very hard in the head, very hard. And I thought, oh, I can't take that. I mean, that was, like, too hard. So I roll. I thought, you know what? Get under your car. I just rolled out of the – I just hit the dirt outside 
the driver's side of the car with my, of course, my head is facing the rear of the car. And I thought if I roll, maybe I can get under. I'm trying to look for under. I'm trying to look for, but it's, it's blowing so hard. It, the magnitude of it can't be described in words, but I roll, I try to get into the car and I'm just, it, there's no car. It's not there. I roll and there's nothing. I'm just rolling. So I just land where I'm on my stomach, cover my head with my arms, and just try to hold on, right? I'm getting as low as I can get, and I'm taking a beating, and I'm praying. Everything out of my is, I'm in it. I can't get out of it. So I'm just holding on, and I'm praying, please don't let me die. Lord, please don't let me die. Just hold on. And I'm just, just, and then it was a constant. So I got into that mode in that place and I stayed there. And I just was like, don't let me die till it stopped, till it was over. That's all you could do. You can't see anything. It's A, dark. (laughs) B, the wind is blowing, as I understand, 150 to 200 miles an hour. Even if you did open your eyes, can you open your eyes in a vehicle going 200 miles an hour and see anything? <laughs> no. So the seeing anything, you can't see anything. So when you realize it's over, I'm sure everything's very quiet at that point. Very quiet. How do you even realize where you are, what's happening, what's... That's where... That's where it got really strange. Um, when it was immediately over, I just laid there because you just fought. You just fought with everything you had for what felt like hours because seconds of holding on to life feels like a long time. So it felt like a long time. And when it was over, I just laid there. I took a mental assessment of myself and said, okay, I'm, I'm still here. I took a physical assessment of myself and thought, can I feel myself? Am I okay? Um, my left shoe was gone. I could tell that. Like, I don't have a shoe. Um, but I just, part of me just wanted to just lay there. It was silent. The world was if you can imagine, we just were in this bumper-to-bumper traffic in the middle of a city on a Friday night. I mean, there was all the noises of the city, and then nothing. I mean nothing. There was no movement. There was no sound. It was perfectly silent and perfectly dark and deserted. And I thought, okay, I could lay here until somebody finds me. Or I can get up, and you know what? I wonder where Melissa is. So I did. I sat up, and I took assessment of, yeah, I mean, brain is fuzzy, but I need to find her. And that was top of mind. Did you find her? I did. I found her. Um, It wasn't uh, very long after that that a car came up battlefield, pulled over to where I was, and a lady got out and and I said to I said to her first, she she just got out of her car and I said, Can you help me find my friend? 
because I knew I needed help. You're 16 and you're like, adults, please? <laughs> Anybody? And I said, can you help me find my friend? And uh, she, she said, yeah. I mean, so she waved over another car and had them pull their lights up because it was perfectly dark. Yeah. can't see anything. I'm assuming like utility poles are down, power's out. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. Uh, how The house that I parked in front of was a brick house and it was nothing left. It was a pile of bricks. And her lights pull over and you would, your brain can't process what you're looking at. Your eyes see this, but you, it's, I, when I say I'm very academic, I'm very in my mind, um, and I'm rational and reasonable and I'm looking at this and I can't make sense of it. So, cause things aren't, things don't look like things. And she, she, the lights light up and 40 feet or more from where I parked. I mean, my car, I can't find my car. I'm like, where's my car? I mean, I don't know if I've been blown somewhere. I don't know where I am and I don't know where she is and I don't know where my car is. And we see my car and my car is upside down. So my car is not where I parked it and it's been flipped on its top. And I'm thinking, is she in there? Does she get out? So I go and um, she, I look and her notebook is laying, her loose leaf notebooks laying by the passenger side, but I don't see her in it. And um, I go, so, like, we'll go look and see if we can find her somewhere else. And I go looking, and um, she's really not far from where I was laying. She was perpendicular to me. I was laying with the, the way the road was, and she was perpendicular. And I went over to her, and I rolled. She was face down. I roll her over, and um, I try to find a pulse. And I can't because I'm shaking so badly. And the lady's with me. And I'm like, can you find a pulse? And she's like, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's go sit you down. So they put me in the back of her car. And, uh, yeah. At what point did you realize that your best friend, Melissa, had passed away? Not right then. Not right then. Um, and that's the whole point of the book is that God is so good and also so mighty that um, I saw not only the forces of nature, um, which makes him, he's so much bigger than that, um, but I also saw his kindness and his goodness. Um, he actually blinded me to a lot so I I literally don't have any other explanation for it than but then blinding me to it protecting you protecting me um I wasn't supposed to know these things right then I couldn't process them I couldn't handle them um she she they put me in the back of this car and um things happened on the scene a reporter showed up um a man walked up from the come, no, get and go. Remember they were called get and go? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there was a guy at get and go and 
he had been there during the storm. He started walking back up Battlefield and came across me in the back seat of these people's car. He opens the door and he starts talking to me. Now, why would this guy do that? Except sent by God. Mm-hmm. And he, he wipes my eyes, he wipes my face, and I'm like, why are you? <laughs> I don't understand. He thought I had glass in my eyes. I'm like, I don't understand why you would think that. But okay. And um, an ambulance pulls up and it goes, one, one worker comes to me and um, one worker goes over to Melissa and I'm watching that. And I tell the guy, I'm fine. He goes, well, you don't look fine. He goes, you, you look pretty beat up. Well, and you have explained a little bit about how the impact of nature embedded mud in your ears and you had sticks like Mm -hmm. this wasn't just walking out into a thunderstorm and coming back in no I didn't just get wet in the rain (laughs) um and as I understand it later um a tornado when it goes through a place will they were building sidewalks actually they were installing the sidewalks on battlefield and so there it was all torn up and and um so there was a lot of mud and dirt it was dirt and when the tornado comes through, I think it separates it like the vacuum separates like the water content from the from the sand. It like does the suction thing. And but so I had a bunch of sand in my braces, actually. But my mouth was shut. I was holding on and it was still driving things into so my ears were packed full of mud. It just packed it and it took my hair and just twisted my my hair shoulder length twisted my hair and pushed debris in my so I had and I had little little um little tiny cuts and probably from like sandblasting probably my scalp had little scabs and later and yeah so I I didn't look like me at all and that was the whole the whole point was he was wiping my eyes because I looked frightful. I mean, I was, yeah, I was a mess. Did you ever find out who that man was? You know, they did find out who he was, and I can't remember his name. Oh, wow. Isn't that terrible? I can't remember. He was... And maybe this will bring him back around again. I mean, between I mean, this and the book, and I, the more we remember out loud, I think he will eventually be found again. I feel bad because my parents found found out, and and I probably heard his name, but it was at a time where I was like, okay, yeah, and I didn't write it down, yeah. But he had um, SMSU at the time, Missouri State was Southwest Missouri yeah. State University. He had a SMSU. Um, football alumni t-shirt on and it caught my eye and I totally remembered it because it had Snoopy on it and I, I'm like oh the Snoopy guy so he's the Snoopy guy and uh, so he was like I said he was sent by God because the EMS workers went over to Melissa and the, the worker did and um, eventually covered her covered her and when I say covered her covered her head and I was like why is he doing that well wait a minute and the Snoopy guy said 
because she's cold. And I was like, okay, good, because I'm cold too. I'm freezing. I was shivering. And you're in shock. I'm in shock. I didn't know that's what it was. Right. But I was in shock, yes. A 16-year-old isn't supposed to know, I don't know what being what in shock is, is after it's that. It's just, I'm cold. And it made, it made total sense. And God sent him to totally tell me what I needed to hear. Had he been insensitive to that and said, well, you know, um, I, it wasn't the time for me to know. I couldn't know. I couldn't know. So eventually you did know. They took you to the hospital. Um, your parents come pick you up there. Mm -hmm. And things start to unfold and you realize that Melissa didn't make it. Right. Um, in the book, you talk about um, going to her funeral mm -hmm. and you are aware of what's going on, but things are really still surreal for you. Right. How do you keep going? At the, you're 16. You've been through a traumatic experience. On top of that, your best friend has passed away. How do you even know? Like at this point, if this happened, you would take your child to see a therapist to work through it. But 40 years ago, that wasn't a thing. How do you know at this point, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to work through this and I'm going to be okay. Do you know that at 16? No. <laughs> no, and not that soon. At the funeral, no. At the funeral, there was, in the book, I call it the dark, the dark time. It, it's just, it's a very dark time. It's a very hard place. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because culturally, then, um, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and he was in recon in Germany on the front of the front. He was in the very first Jeep to cross the Rhine River in the Battle of the Bulge, and I mean the first Jeep. He was, he was, he was, he saw a war that was terrible. He came home, and my granny told him, don't speak of it. Yeah. Don't Shove it speak down. of it. Yeah. It is not to be spoken of. And he didn't. And he he lived a wonderful life. He had he had a family and 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 not a not didn't miss a beat. And that was the culture. The culture was don't speak of it and compartmentalize it and put it away and it will all be fine. Well, that was my grandfather. And so my parents, I mean, they weren't there was no lack of compassion. They were like, do you need anything? Are you okay? Are you good? And of course I was, I was fine. I'm fine. Well, you don't know what to I'm ask fine. for either. I'm fine. Yeah. And you're alive. That's fine. I'm compared fine. to what the alternative could have been. Oh yeah. Compared to, yeah, I'm fine. And, but no, no amount of, of loving family, loving friends, support, None of that can take away that feeling of guilt and shame because that's so personal that and no and no therapy um, that I it, it's it's what is so amazing is that what came out of the tornado was a knowledge that God, is real and he's there and he talks to me and I can talk to him 
And that conversation started the night of the tornado. And that conversation never stopped. And even to this day, that conversation has never stopped. And you can call that prayer or relationship or whatever, but that him and I worked it out. And it was it was important that I knew him. It was important that I felt him in the tornado protect me and stay with me and debate me <laughs> and work on me and then ultimately fix me because it was surrender. I mean, you're in, your, in a storm, I had no, I couldn't determine my outcome. I couldn't have decided I was going to live or die. It wasn't up to me. Um, it was up to him. Did you ask him along the way? Because this seems like a common human question. Why Why me? Yes. Why not her? Why not a million times did I ask? I didn't ask it once. I asked it a million times. And I still don't know why. But I got okay with not knowing the why. I don't have to know why. I just, it just is. And he decides why and he ultimately decided that I had a purpose that he had a plan that um that basically in 16 year old 17 year old thought process I'm not finished so there's more for me to do I still have and you know what I'm still here so I'm not done yet (laughs) How, what advice do you have to others that feel guilty? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, when you, when I look at your story, I say, well, Jennifer, there's nothing else you could have done. There's nothing else. You did, like, it wasn't your fault. But when you're walking in Jennifer's shoes and Jennifer's life, there had to be times when you're like, Oh, this was my fault. Mm-hmm. If I would have done this or this or oh, this. Oh, there's or all this, the what ifs. Yeah. Um, you know, this could have changed it, that could have changed it. What do you have for someone that's walking through that right now? That whatever, it may not have been a tornado, it may not have been their best friend, but there has been significant loss. And they look at it, well, if I would have just done this. What do you have for them as you've walked through this for the last 40 years? First of all, you can't change it. Nothing you can do can bring her back. Nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do to bring her back, to make it right, you know, according to other people's definition of right. I couldn't. Yeah, I felt guilty. I couldn't, I can't make it right. I can't change it. But I can live a life in victory. I can love. I can be productive and give a testimony and live my life every day that he wakes me up in the morning is a new day and be thankful for everything he's given me. Not looking at what I don't have or the past or what I can't change that so I look at today and I take today 
and I'm thankful for today. And I know that he has a plan and a purpose, and he has provision for that day. I know that I couldn't heal me. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of the shame and the guilt. That wasn't on me, but he could. So I had to give it over to him. I had to hand it to him. I had to surrender it to him. I had to trust him that he was going to work it out. Now, this has been a 40-year journey for you. When you say that you did those things, that you handed this over to God, was that something that you were able to do at 16, 17? Was that something you were able to do at 25? Was that something you were able to do as a wife and a mom of three boys? Because I know how the enemy works. And he, I would, without you saying this, I know that he's probably thrown this back in your face time after time after time in the last 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, you can, you can, when the, with my formula that worked for me, which was looking at the day, just today, because back then I didn't have a guarantee of tomorrow. It came out of nowhere. I was on top of the world and then I could have been off the planet. Done. So what, I mean, it could happen to any of us at any point. We could leave the house and get in a car wreck. We could, you know, who, who knows? We don't know how many days we have. I can plan the future, but I don't know that I'm going to be in it. I have today. And so my formula back then and now and every day since then has been live this day. So it's every day waking up saying, God made the day. Nobody else can make a day. He made it. He put me in it. And he will provide in it. And that's all I have. And so if the enemy comes along and tries to tell me, oh, well, you know, you should feel bad about this or you should feel bad about that or God didn't make that my destiny. He made me. He took that on the cross. He took my sorrow. He took my shame. He took my guilt. And I only have today. So really, I'm not going to let the enemy ruin it today because it's a gift. And as long as I remember that this day is a gift, this one, not tomorrow, not next year, not even the past, just today, that's all I have. And it has made me, first of all, I know that he's going to provide. He's going to bring provision. He's going to, he, he is right there with me and I bring it to him. It's like, okay, I'm starting to doubt that I can do this. He says, write the book. I go, I don't know that I can do that. I'm not an author. And he's like, you can, you know, I just today. So today, bring your materials together, sit down at your keyboard and start typing. I can do that. And he says, today, we're going to do this. Okay, so we're taking the day. So it really seriously, it's one day at a time. I don't have a guarantee tomorrow. I don't know that I'll be here next week. And in doing that, you grab on to what he has for you right now because what you have right now is, 
is equipping you maybe for the future, it's also your hedged. You are hedged from the past. And I wrote this book knowing I can't be hurt. I can't get hurt. It can't hurt me anymore. But, and like you said, I've walked it 40 years, but this is how I was every day for 40 years and hopefully more to come. But that's how I did it. When you look back on the last 40 years, is there one word that you can think of that kind of puts it all together? It's hard to go with one, but it's just gratitude. If you just stay in gratitude for like for everything that you have in this day, not what I don't have, but everything I'm thankful for today and everything he's provided for me and everything over, oh, the abundant life that I've lived. Um, it's really miraculous. All that he has restored and given and grown and moved. And, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse and I'm getting better every day. It's just this thankfulness, this blessing of, of I'm a, I'm a composition of all of that. There's so many pieces of the story that we didn't touch on, um, that if you want to, to know the full story, um, and some really incredible details, you can check out Jennifer's book the link is in the show notes, but I see this Jennifer as not a story about Jennifer, not a story about Melissa, but a story about God's goodness. Oh yeah. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Story Matters. Check out the show notes below. We have some different links and some resources available to you related to the topic we covered in this episode. And then be sure to follow and download for more of This Story Matters. If you need prayer, we invite you to call or text our prayer line. It's available 24-7, 365, anytime you could possibly need it, 877-800-7729. We would love to hear the story God has written in your life. Email us with your story at thisstorymatters at thewind.radio.